I have a clergy friend that um, jokes about that song. I love to tell the story because it's a song that talks so much about loving to tell the story and then never tells it. Um, and I went back and read it. I was like, you know, it doesn't. Uh, but that's why we gather here, right? To hear and tell the story. Um, as we continue to tell the story, I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And then I'm going to jump to chapter 26 and read verses 1 through 13. And as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you. And so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you are away, when you lie down, and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And then jumping to 26, verses 1 through 13. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruits of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to them, Today I declare to, you, I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Armenian was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of the tithe, 
giving it to the Levites, the aliens, the orphans, and the widows, so that they may eat their fill within their towns. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from the house, and I have given it to the Levites, the resident aliens, the orphans, and the widows, in accordance with your entire commandment that you commanded me. I have neither transgressed nor forgotten any of your commandments. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Three weeks ago, as we moved through um, this year of thinking about the wisdom of Scripture, we moved from Genesis to Exodus, and we met God in a new way. God who hears the cries of God's people, God the liberator, God the teacher. I shared with you that I was leaning pretty heavily on Daniel Erlander's book, um, Manna and Mercy, how he tells the story of the wilderness journey for the Hebrew people following their liberation. And one of my favorite parts of the way that Erlander retells this story is this line. Just when creation and angels began to sing, the people did a stupid thing. I feel like this is something that can be on every page of our story of faith. Um, I feel like this is something that within my own days uh, could sum it up. Everything was going great. I was having a good day, and then I did a stupid thing. Erlander follows this line by adding one more lesson that God gives the people in this wilderness school. One more way that the people are to practice manna living. He puts it this way. God wondered... How can the people remember what they have been taught? How can they hold righteousness and mercy in balance? How can they be deepened, enriched, and renewed in their life of faith? After thinking and thinking, God decided to give the beloved one more gift. The gift of worship. Worship will be a special time to remember, to retell, and give thanks for God's saving acts in history. The times when the lover God practiced righteousness and mercy in awesome ways, especially in the great liberation from Pharaoh's Egypt. By worshiping, the people will incorporate themselves into the life of God. By confessing the, hear, O Israel, by telling the stories of God, by sharing the meal to remember, and by offering thanksgiving, the people will immerse themselves more deeply into the life of God, into partnership with God. This relationship will empower the community. You know, if we flipped backwards and we look at the beginning pieces of the Exodus story, when Moses first goes to Pharaoh to deliver God's message, let my people go, he doesn't just say, let my people go. There's a so that. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they can worship me in the wilderness. Let my people go so that they may go worship in the wilderness. If you read through, this is repeated in Exodus 7, 8, 9, and 10. And of course, Pharaoh many times says no. Pharaoh refuses to let them go. So don't you wonder if maybe, just maybe, Pharaoh knew the power of worship. 
After all, as Erlander says, by worshiping, the people will incorporate themselves into the life of God. By worshiping, the people will immerse themselves more deeply into the life of God, into partnership with God. This relationship will empower the community. Maybe worship carries more weight than we like to acknowledge. Now, yes, Pharaoh refuses because he enjoyed his free labor. I mean, the system has works for him. Why would he mess with it? He definitely doesn't care if they have religious freedom. But most importantly, he knew the importance of keeping them in their place. He knew that in Egypt, they were his people. In Egypt, they were forced to worship him. If they were allowed to go out into the wilderness and worship God, they become God's people. If these enslaved persons worship God, they find freedom in a different way. They experience the freedom of God. Maybe Pharaoh understood that the power of worship could be an act of liberation and sedition. Maybe Pharaoh understood that the relationship established in worship between God and God's people would empower the community. Now we know that God did liberate God's people. We've shared that over the past few Sundays and talked about how they had this 40 years of learning and listening, of practicing patience, of practicing community. For 40 years, God was teaching them teaching them how to be a people that looked nothing like the system that Pharaoh had constructed, the only system they'd ever known. God wanting them to be something altogether different, and at the center of this community, at the center of the teaching, at the center of this redefining, was worship. They're given the, sh the Shema, the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You shall bring your whole being to worship God. As we go through Scripture, we find this command to worship in Joshua, First and Second Kings, and the prophets. It's in numerous ways in the Psalms. And by the time we get to the New Testament, um, Devotion to weekly communal worship in the synagogue and in the temple has reached the status of what it means to live a devout life. In Deuteronomy, as we heard, the people were instructed to meditate daily on the law. Recite it to your children. Talk about it when you're home, when you're away, when you lie down, when you rise. And otherwise, in other words, all the time, because pe the people of God believed that when people studied the Torah, when they were in conversation about it, they were changed by doing so. They became different people. When we gather to worship, not only are we reminded of what God has done and that God is with us, but we believe that in this very act, in this practice, the whole person is transformed. There's a quote that says, what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What we worship, we start to become. For good or for bad, 
what we give our time to shapes us. Another way that I think about this is uh, what we spend our time focusing on, looking at, reading, scrolling. Um, we resemble either for ruin or restoration. Think about the 24-hour news networks or the algorithms on any social media or on YouTube that are designed especially to draw you in and to keep you connected to scroll and scroll and stare and stare at the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Study after study is showing that these things rewire us. They take us down rabbit holes. They shape us. They change us. We become different people. Part of God's command to worship, part of the gift of worship, was so that people had space within their days and weeks to reorient themselves, to step away, to remember the lessons of manna living, the lesson of the manna itself, we own nothing. All is God's. All is gift. God gives enough for all to be shared by all. Our work is helping God distribute manna. God gives rest so humans can practice full-time what life is about. Friendship with God, friendship with others, friendship with nature. As we heard last week, the lesson of the Jubilee, a way to reset so that we don't create a system like Pharaoh had constructed, thereby becoming the oppressor and enslaving others. And then in the gift of worship, the promise that God is present. We meet God. We meet one another. And as we experience God through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are becoming Part of our gathering in worship, part of the gathered body of believers and for generations in worship has been the reciting of the Lord's Prayer, speaking this traditional prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples. It's been spoken and passed down for generations, spoken in Sunday morning worship, shared in hospital rooms, at family gatherings, at the bedside of those facing death, recited at gravesides, held closely by individuals in all kinds of situations. And when we speak this prayer, we speak the lessons of manna living. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. A line that reminds us of the gift of worship, the space to meet and experience God and to worship God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A reminder and call for us to hold the righteousness and mercy of God in balance on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Not me, not I. But us, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not store up enough for a year, give us this day the lesson of the manna itself. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's just jubilee. 
Maybe we can't find evidence of the big jubilee year ever taking place, uh, but as Pastor Haven told us last week, in Jesus, jubilee is here, so we live into it. How? We forgive as we are forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Reset the system. Bring everything back into balance. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And we circle back around to worship itself. Reorient us. Reshape us. Be present with us. Maybe worship carries more weight than we like to acknowledge, um, if we will but allow it to do so. So I come to one last thought, um, which is the thing I could not let go of all week. Um, I always can't get away from like the practicalness uh, of theology in our world. If worship has this power... If worship is this transformative act, if God gave us the gift of worship so that we would be empowered to continually reorient ourselves to the things of God and not become that which we do not wish to become, why, oh why, is the history of the church, the history of Christianity, splattered with so many stories of things that are the opposite of who God calls us to be. Why, oh why, is the history of the church, especially in this country, why was the church one of the main voices upholding slavery and segregation and sexism? Well, all I can do is point back to Erlender's original line. Just when creation and angels began to sing, the people did a stupid thing. All I can do is acknowledge this, include myself in it, and then say confidently that yes, while the church is not immune from our own stupid things, we also have stories of faithful individuals who, through the power of the Holy Spirit, lived in the world in a different way, who were shaped by the story they chose to be a part of, who shaped the lives of those around them, who shaped their communities, their world. That, and I can speak to what we are promised in the gift of worship. We're promised that God is in this place. We meet God. We meet one another. We share space. Coming from the Hebrew tradition, synagogue literally means coming together. And as I think of the choir song, um, I've got peace, love, and joy from my own personal experience. And I know this is not true for everyone when tragedy happens, but it was in worship after my father's death that I experienced peace, love, and joy for just an hour as I walked through that myself. And I know that's not everybody's experience. So as we hear in Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May it be so. Let us pray. <clears throat>